0: Okay, welcome to the Chelsea Fancast. It's me, Stamford Chidge, yet again. And uh, we have a very, very special show for you tonight because we have a special guest. And I will get to him in a second. But before that, of course, as ever, Mr. Kidd is in the house.
3: I love you to be here on the show with the, uh, as always, with the man who, in fact, we can just sit back and let him talk. The fantastic Mark Mead, who... uh, who uh, runs the show and has a, an encyclopedic compendium <laughs> of knowledge of every season that I have seen and completely forgotten about, and I absolutely love that. Yeah, he, rem-
0: mean... he remembers so we don't have to.
3: Indeed, indeed. Well, well, I've noticed a pattern in the show frequently is that he'll say, oh yeah, this happened, and I'll go, oh yeah, <laughs> that appears to be my role. That's all I appear
0: to do.
4: Oh yeah, yeah.
0: There we go. So yeah, we've got the lovely Mark Meehan. How are you, Mark?
4: I'm all right, yes. Looking forward to tonight's show. Should be a good one. Yeah, ho- Hopefully we can keep it under three hours this evening. Well, we will. But this one, we, we certainly won't. We will. We won't. <laughs> this one, we
0: certainly will. Certainly and, and a- no, no chance. No chance. I know you're a great mate of his, so I- I'm going to allow you the honour of introducing our guests and telling everybody who we've got on the show tonight. No,
4: thank you very much. It's an absolute pleasure to invite along a a legend in my eyes, because obviously he's a friend of mine, but he's also a legend in many fans' eyes. Like It is the one, the only... Nigel
0: Spackman. There we go. Lovely to see you. Yes, indeed. Round of applause. <laughs> Thanks,
4: inviting uh, me,
0: Well, it's good to see you, Nigel. And you're looking exceedingly well. I'm glad, glad to see that, because uh, it's been a tough old year and a half for most people. And you're looking very well, uh, looking younger than me, which is frightening.
3: Oh, well, I look younger than you, and I'm 20 years older than you.
0: Chief. No, that's well, that's not fair. I'm younger than you. You're the oldest one here don't be like that anyway it's lovely to see you mate it really really is um as i as i said to you before we went on air we've been doing these um 50 years of of, of chelsea shows and uh we, we're in the 90s at the moment but we thought it would be fun to get you on and, and you know we, we get the rare opportunity to get somebody like you on the show and it would be a, a real waste if we didn't talk about all of your career uh and i think we when did we do the, when did we do eighty three, eighty four, mark it was about a year ago wasn't it
4: yeah, I think was it Kelvin did it. Yeah, yeah, Kelvin, Kelvin was Kelvin on, wasn't and Clay, Clayton did it.
0: Yeah, which of course is 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 when when you arrived. Um, and I mean, yeah. I think when we when I look back on the fact that we've just done every every year since since 1970, I think for our generation, me me Mark and Jonathan particularly, it's probably one of our favourite favourite ever seasons. But let's be honest, the club were in a right old state when you turned up, so. I mean, why did you sign and and what did you think when you got there? Money. (laughs) (laughs) They didn't have any money. What are you talking about? (laughs) Um,
1: Well, I was at Bournemouth, uh, which was my first club. Uh, So I'm indebted to Bournemouth for giving me the chance to become a professional footballer uh, under uh, Alex Stock and then under a great Chelsea legend, David Webb. Yeah. Uh, who was my manager and coach at Bournemouth. Uh, and then Dave moved on. I think he got sacked. Um, you know, I think he was probably selling cars at the same time as trying to buy and sell players. But he's a great character, as we know. And uh, he helped me immensely. Uh, and then uh, the chance came along. that There was a lot of speculation that um, teams were watching me. I think Everton was one of those, along with Chelsea. And uh, Dave... Dave got in touch with me because there was no mo- mobile phones at that time, as we all know. And uh, Dave come round and said, uh, Chelsea, uh, asked me about you. And I went, oh, fantastic. I said, brilliant. And then, then he invited me around for dinner as things progressed. But obviously, being at Bournemouth, you didn't really know if anybody was watching you. It's the back of beyond, as we all know, but done fantastically well over the past five or six seasons but when I was there it was fourth division there were one two three and four I was in the fourth division then we got promotion to the third division and uh, then the speculation about Chelsea came in in the summer and um, luckily um, John Neal thought I was half decent player and uh, tried to sign me from Bournemouth which they did under Ken Bates and uh, up I came to to meet uh, John have a look around at chelsea pat nevin was there the same day so myself and pat actually signed on the same day um but just coming from bournemouth at dean court walking out at Stamford bridge down the old tunnel down the concrete steps and there you just think this immense stadium with one big stand the pitch was like a plowed field even then <laughs> and uh you know but you think oh i'd really love to play here you know and it uh that's what happened i spoke to john uh, John Neal got on well and uh, ended up signing for Chelsea.
0: And we're very glad you you did, uh, Nigel. Um, I mean, the, fir- the first match, I mean, actually, before we get into that, because one, one of the things I want to ask you was, uh, I've spoken to Kerry at great length about this season, as I know Mark and, and probably Jonathan too, but uh, one of the things that intrigues me about that season is, of course, a lot of new players turned up. Kerry, you, um, Pat, as you said, Couple of others as well. Joe McLaughlin, I think, was another one, and and Eddie Nesbitt, and Eddie, yeah, that's right. And of course, you would have then gone, and John, da- and John Hollings, don't forget and, him. Sorry, well, he's not exactly a new boy, was he? I mean, John, well, John it, was, it was an old new boy, an wasn't old new he? boy, yeah, 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 yeah. But I mean, you know, obviously, you, you would have gone down a pre-season to Aberystwyth, and Kerry, Kerry tells yeah. me, and and Pat covers this in his book brilliantly about you know the awful runs up the sand dunes and things like that, and 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 yeah. and but of kind of a really weird kind of thing going on. She got this new set of players that come in. A lot of the old boys were still there. So, so what was it like kind of walking into that environment?
1: Well, it was quite, it was quite strange because you have to remember that Alan Hudson had, had come back as well. Yeah. Huddy had come back. Uh, Droysey was still there as well. Uh, Mickey Fillory was still there. I'm, I'm not sure if Chibs had just gone. Um, Mickey ended up going, uh, Mickey Fillory ended up going to uh, QPR in the end, but you know, there were some old Chelsea players there and there was the new lot that came in and it was like, how is it all going to pan out? Are we going to be accepted? Aren't we going to be accepted? But in the end, you know, people like Colin Page, John Bumpstead, fantastic guys, absolutely brilliant. Droyze as well. Uh, Mickey Droyer, like Mickey, he was really good. And, you know, we just all fitted in together and got on with it. And don't forget, David Speedy was already there. Colin Lee was already there as well. So, um, we just we just got on well, but obviously when you go to Aberystwyth, you go away to Aberystwyth University and there's nothing to do except, um, you know, do the training, come back, have us something to eat and then decide we're all going to go out for a beer. That was pre-season training.
0: <laughs> I and, like the sound of that.
1: <laughs> and if you if you were still hungry at the end of the night, there was a fish and chip shop just at the bottom of the hill before you had to walk up to the university, which um a few of the lads like to do. But it was character building really i mean running over those sand dunes the three what i always remember was on the coach going to the to the beach you're coming over this hill and if the tide was out you knew you were going to go and do the dunes first and if the obviously uh if the tide was in i mean we'd do the dunes first if the tide was out we're going to do the three mile run along the beach so you just had to strike yourself up to whatever you were going to do but I think it was more character building. It was rubbish training, really. When you look back,
3: there was no training with the ball then at all. It was just just fitness, was it entirely?
1: Yeah, in in the mornings, in the mornings basically, okay. and then you gradually bring a ball in in the afternoon, um, if you could control it at that time. Um, <laughs> pass it at that time, but it was it was really this three mile run on the beach, and then doing the sand dunes. And you know, when Mickey Thomas was there, he used to do the sand dunes in his bare feet. You know, we all used to do it in our trainers, but he was up and over there. But, you know, it was a good uh, competitive edge to all the lads, you know, wanting to do well. And I think John Neal and Ian McNeil have to be given great credit for the players that he brought in.
3: Was, was he a great man, man, man manager? That's what we were told, John Neal. He uh, um, He was very good at um, just keeping, every, keeping a very happy camp, was he, uh, generally?
1: Yeah, I think John was, uh, you know, he was a big smoker. Um, Obviously, as we all know, he used to like his bags, but he wasn't a tactician or anything like that. But I think you have to give managers and um, scouts sometimes that they can actually see a player, that they can see something in a player that they're not spending an awful lot of money on, but they see something special, you know, which if you look at Kerry and you look at Pat, uh, Joe McLaughlin, Eddie, and hopefully myself as well, you think, well, they were bargain buys and they spotted something in those players who were playing in the lower leagues to come to Chelsea gel together and get you know win the old second division championship in their first season together was amazing and that's all down to John Neal and Ian McNeil how they sort of dovetailed amazing. together and John Hollins did the coaching really where John had learned a a lot at Arsenal um, to bring into the club and, and he was allowed to do the coaching
3: so was John the tactician then? Really, was he set, setting the, the, the team up, or was it uh, was it was it uh, Ian McNeil?
1: Well, to, to be fair, I have to be honest and say that we didn't really do much tactics. <laughs> Seriously, so was it was left, left up like,
3: to you. Is it? Was it left up to you as a team today? To, like to yeah, it was like
1: this is the team today. Uh, Pat, I think Pat would say, um, you know, sometimes Chelsea played four two four. No, people think it's four four two, but. With Pat getting forward, Canners down the left-hand side, really, myself and John Bumpstead were the only midfield players. And at times, you know, you're in there working your watch it off because those two are up the pitch with Kerry and, and uh, Dave. Uh, and it's a back four, and, and us two, really, in there who had to do all the work. But it just worked in the, in the old second division. It just worked. And we, with the pace of Kerry, the pace of Canners, the trickery of Pat, and the... Dogginess of, of Speedo, who liked to come off and play in that midfield attacking midfield area, which helped us out at times. It just gelled, but we didn't really work on tactics.
3: So it ended up being quite fluid. In fact, if he was just behind all the time, it was like a it was like a a, a, a moving f- almost a four four two, but it would then become four two four. Is that what happened? Is that what sort of inadvertently, yeah. even though you weren't setting it up to do that? So
1: yeah, absolutely, it just happened really like that because of the players we had, and I think. Because we weren't known by the teams, you know, because we'd come from lower divisions or from Scotland, um, they didn't know how to handle us early on uh, and what we brought to the game. But Kerry always brought goals and pace over the top. Cannes gave us pace and trickery down that side. But if you gave the ball to Pat, you, you wanted to rest, just give the ball to Pat You keep it for five minutes.
0: Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. I mean, you're right, Nigel. I mean, it's kind of weird, isn't it? Because... Uh, it, it, people often say I mean now in the modern game you know if we'd have if we if we had five new signings we'd be making excuses for the first half of the season all, all you know the the people are a bit more supportive of the side shall we say we'd be saying yep. oh you know come on you can't put five new players in the side and expect it to gel immediately you know they take time to settle in blah 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 but you lot hit the ground running I mean that that, that, that first match against Derby I mean I mean obviously it was a brilliant start for you you scored after four minutes but uh what was what was it like for you, you know, making your debut, Stamford Bridge, and then walloping Derby?
1: Well, I have to go back a little bit and say, do you remember the game, the probables against the possibles at Stamford Bridge? Now, when you look back to that, you say, well, that was, you know, all those players thrown together at Stamford Bridge before the season even starts. And uh, I was in the possibles, not the probables. I wasn't even in the what they thought was going to be the team for... Um, To start the season but I think Mickey Fillory moved on and I did well in that game and obviously we didn't know what the team was going to be against Derby but you build up and you make sure you're ready for the game and I was lucky to be picked and scoring after four minutes against Derby County who were actually the favourites to go up was amazing and then I think Kerry scored a couple as well and it was a brilliant brilliant performance from us in front of a big crowd the crowd I think took to the new players and the older players, and I think that momentum started from that from that game.
0: Yeah, I think it probably did. I mean, Mark, do you want to come in because you've been remarkably quiet? What's going on? No, no, because
4: let, <laughs> let, yeah, obviously Nigel and I spoke about this many times, so it's it's great for you guys to sort of sort of like fit in. Um, but I, I would say, sort of like you know, for, for you playing, Nigel, how good in your view were Kerry and Pat? How good were they? Yeah. Um, I think both games
1: capped by their their countries, you know, Pat for Scotland and Kerry for England, I think they were exceptionally good. That that first season and, and getting us up, I think Pat and Kerry were, were brilliant. I think the whole squad was, the whole team was, but I think Kerry, some of the goals he scored was absolutely amazing and I think some of the some of the things that Pat did, you know, skill wise, just amazing. Um And he could, you know, feint across it in, cut back. And then Kerry and Speedo in the middle go, get the ball in! And he'd be doing his own thing, you know. (laughs) But, you know, it worked. And, uh, you know, Kerry was a top player. Got into the England squad. um, Did very well. But Kerry always had, how would I say, little things going on off the field, which I think affected him. Um, He didn't didn't let it out to the lads most of the time. He just played the games. But I think, um, you know, when he starts opening bookies you know he's doing so well top scorer you know his his agents got him a deal to open I don't know one of the bookies um you know and I think Kerry got into that side of things which didn't help him at all but he still produced it on the pitch fantastic player good good man as well uh Pat you know he got his move to Everton in the end but at that time at Chelsea except for taking penalties he was super...
0: <laughs> <laughs> well well talking of penalties Nigel I mean that first season I mean we could do 10 hours just talking about 83 84 i mean it's some i mean when we when we we've all sat down and done, we did a whole another series where we all kind of interviewed each other if you see what i mean and so yeah. many of us had so many matches from that season that were still amongst our favorite matches so i'm not going to do that because we will be here all night but i'm going to pick out two actually uh one is uh, and they, largely because i think you scored in both of them uh one is the 4-0 against Newcastle which is which is I, th- I think if my memory serves Mark will thump me if I'm wrong that's the one where Pat beat about 500 people isn't it
4: That uh, that that is indeed yeah, that's, that's right. uh, and I think Newcastle were top of the table at that time you know, when, when they came to town with Kevin Keegan and co
0: yeah Yeah and the yeah. other the other one is uh, is 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 a is a game that many many who were lucky enough to be there will never forget which is the 3-3 <laughs> against uh Cardiff where you scored yep. a last minute penalty I mean, how nuts was that match? <laughs> <laughs> On and oh, no. off the pitch, I have to say.
1: Yeah, I have to say, how nuts was I volunteering to take the penalty at <laughs> the last
0: minute? Well, and... somebody had to. We were rubbish at <laughs> yes. taking penalties, weren't we?
1: We were. I think Kerry, Kerry didn't fancy it. Pat wasn't the best at taking it. So stupid me stood up and took it. But, you know, luckily got the got the the ball in the back of net, I think, Who was And Andy Dibble was in goal, I think. Um, for for Cardiff that day but it was a big point for us coming back to get a point out of that game was massive for us against Newcastle you have to remember that Kevin Keegan and Terry McDermott were playing in that Newcastle team Uh, you know Kevin had come back and um, gone there under Arthur Cox so they were a big threat I think Chrissy Waddle was there as well I'm not sure if Peter Beardsley was there but they were a good team and we spanked them 4-0 it could have been worse I think I scored I think I hit the crossbar I think Peter Rhodes Brown sport, I think, as well. But it was a demo- demolition job on the day, and we could do that to teams, you know, with Pat and Speedo and Kerry in there, and you know, whoever it was playing on the left-hand side, be it Clive Walker, be it Canners, be it Peter Rhodes Brown, you know, we were we were good going forward, but we still had Big Joe and Patesy at the back, and Eddie Nierzewski was a top-class goalkeeper as well. So we were a good we were a good team.
0: Yeah, I think so. Well, we we loved you to pieces for that. I mean, one one of the things. I mean, we sat here very rudely talking all about uh, Kerry and Pat, and we haven't been talking about you. But actually, when I when I think of that side, I think of you and Bummers as such a brilliant partnership. And and I was lucky enough to interview Bummers a couple of years ago now, and he's such a self-deprecating chap. He's a, he's such a quiet chap, and you know, it was like impossible to try and get him to. Talk about how how bloody good he was because we loved him to pieces and the length of his career and everything. But you two as a pair in that midfield, I oh, mean, great. you know that's unconscionable these days. Just wouldn't happen, and yet you did cover the ground of of a four in midfield to an extent. It was quite incredible.
1: Yeah, but we got on very well, Bunners and and Patesy as well. That you know, really the two main lads who were left behind from the old Chelsea, if you like to if you like to bring it. And Patey being the captain, Bunners was fantastic i love playing alongside of him he worked hard he, he could pass the ball he'd get forward and score the occasional goal or claim a goal when it wasn't even his um, <laughs> uh, he was a great lad and and you know he loved to pint bates he loved to pint i like to pint so we got on very well and um you know if i'd see him tomorrow we'd still be having a pint together and chatting about the game but bunners was i always call him bunners not bummers um Uh, He was a great lad and and so was Patesy and they made us feel so welcome and they take great credit for that team and how we performed and how we all gelled together. Mm. Because it could have been very anti, new players coming in, you get that at clubs, they made us feel welcome and we made them feel welcome and it it worked. But um, it was hard work for me and Bunnies in the middle of the park, that's for sure, with the attacking talent we had, Um, you know, you have to cover the ground. And maybe that was the, ter- that's were the way we played at the time. It was quite direct to get the ball forward to, you know, to Kerry with his pace or out to Pat very quickly or Canners with his pace or, or Speedo knock it up and he'd flick it on and Kerry get in behind. So we were quite direct, but it was hard work in the middle mm-hmm. of the park, that's for mm-hmm.
3: sure. Using modern parlance, the transitions were always very quick. I was always impressed by the, the speed that the ball was got up the other end and which relied heavily on, on both of you. In particular, there's a thing that I always remember about you was your ability to change the angle of play all the time by you would revolve in one <laughs> particular you had one particular thing that I would always it stood out where you get the ball and do a kind of sort of complete turn. And it was yeah, either yeah. whether you got to the right or the left, you make a decision, which always seemed to confuse people, but the players had no problem with it, they were so used to it. But you must have been as a team, this you must have maintained this fitness because the speed with which it was played at was was unbelievably impressive i remember thinking that the this was such a uh, um uh an upturn on the on the way that the, the the club had been playing before it was a it was you know it was the ball was a bit it was all a bit tedious Ball long ball would go out you might have a speedy winger suddenly everybody gelled in a very very swift way was this was this specifically done was there a lot of sprinting going on in the training was it uh was that maintained or the same level of fitness you started off with in pre-season
1: well, I think because in the um, in the championship as it is now, the old Division 2, games just come and come and come. You don't get an awful lot of time to work on things. So,
3: right, 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 right.
1: Yeah, so really you're just ticking over. And then on a Friday, we used to have quite a jolly day on a Friday and it'd end up with sprints and a bit of competition between all the fast guys and us slower guys. Um you know, and, and then end up with a six aside or something behind the goals at Stanford, if you remember then in the old stadium. Yeah. to yeah. go there, but you know, don't always end up with Kerry, uh, you know, winning the sprints or Canners beating him. You know, it was, it was good. And that was, that was what pushed us all the time that little bit of competitiveness between the group. But we were a young group. We were quite naive at times. And I think we just went for it. You know, there was a lot, not a great deal of tactics. But we wanted to get the ball in the net, the other end, as quickly as possible, and uh, <laughs> I think it worked for us. Yeah. And, but then, when you go up to the what is the Premier League now, it's a little bit of a different game, and you had to learn fast. When we come on to that, but in the in the old Second Division, the Championship, it's a much you have to be fit, you have to be sharp, you have to be competitive, and we were that, and we were young and hungry for success, and we were hungry to do well for Chelsea and do well for ourselves.
3: So were they playing much more long ball in the uh, uh, in the champion at the in the in the second division at the time as it was? Was that the, so we, you were you a breath of fresh air for them? You said that they they couldn't cope with you because they didn't know any of you as players, but also could yeah. they not cope with the style uh, in that season? Did
1: you find? Yeah, and I, I think that what what shows everybody that is if you know if you remember Sheffield Wednesday used to play a very Direct game under Howard Wilkinson. Yeah. yeah. I and mean, in that famous cup game, when we're three nil down, and we come back and we go four three up, and then stupid Doug gives a penalty away. But we won't go <laughs> something, into
0: something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not
1: swearing honest, but you know, we were a fit team uh, and we worked hard for each other. But you get your fitnesses, your fitness really in the games because you're running around closing sure, sure, sure. players round uh, down and forcing mistakes out of them. Um, And I think once you move up, um, you've got to keep the ball because if you give the ball away to good teams, you're chasing after it, trying to get it back. Where in the league down, people don't keep the ball quite as well. But we kept it well at times, but we were direct at times as we touched on. But we were a very fit and sharp team who could score goals. And when you've got players in your team that can score goals... It always takes the pressure off you defensively. And that's what the likes of Speedo and the likes of Kerry did. They could score goals. And Pat would come in with a few goals as well.
0: Yeah, it's interesting you say that. Because I mean, if you remember, JK, when we when we were reviewing that season and we, what we, we did, Nigel, because, well, my memory like a goldfish. So we had to surf YouTube for every available bit of footage we could find from the season. And I remember us talking about it at the time, JK, saying, bloody hell, they played really good football then. Do you remember that? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it
3: yeah. Was, it was, but also, when watching as a uh, uh, um, as a as a younger person as I was, I was uh, uh, the, it, it was the joy. Fifty two. It, it yeah, it was about fifty two at the time. Yeah, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, it, but it was that it was that thing you get as a fan because the first game had been such a revelation. You just want to watch the, every single game as much as. Uh, uh, afterwards you want to go to every single game because you think what is this team going to achieve and that's yeah. set it up it's when as as you said chid when when a, a, a new group of players appears and everybody get, makes excuses for them if they're not playing very well you just feel you look in the look in the crowds the enthusiasm isn't there whereas in this instance it was wow what have we got on our hands yeah. here this is going to be a great season and, and, and so we weren't, we weren't disappointed
0: no indeed and so it proved we went up as champions obviously um for another lovely demolition of Leeds and the scoreboard of course um so here's the thing how did it feel to be back in the uh, in division 1 i mean i mean chelsea's a funny club isn't it because i mean we are a big club but we 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 don't half make it hard for ourselves and and we're back really where i think we belong. but what did it feel like as a player i mean you know d- did it feel a bit like that for you guys
1: well i just have to give you this this to satisfy what you what you're saying and to pick up on it is an early kickoff at Highbury on a coach coming from a hotel to play against one of the best teams in the country at a fantastic stadium. We've all come from the fourth division, third division. Um, we've come from Clyde in Scotland, you know, from all over the place. None of us, except for John Hollins, I've, I think, would have played in the what is now the Premier League, the first division. So it was new for everyone. But once we turned the top of the road at Highbury to come down and we saw all the Chelsea fans lined up all the way round the stadium and the noise and banging on the side of the coach and everything, I turned to the lads and I went, we've made it. Because that's what it meant. Mm. This was a proper football match with a crowd as big as you could get. And you've got to go out there and perform in front of this crowd. And all those Chelsea fans away from home made the trip, early kickoff, We can't go out and let them down. And we can't go out and let ourselves down. So when we went out, we knew we were good enough to compete against Arsenal. We had good enough players in the team. I think we drew 1-1. I think we could have won it. But you have to look at the internationals they had in their team, the experience they had in their team, Arsenal. And we gave as good as we got. And I think after that game, we all as a group thought individually and as a group we're good enough to play in this league and we were and we went from strength to strength and with a little bit more investment we could have been a real force in the first division that season and the next
0: season well it's it's funny isn't it because I mean you know those those two seasons we did I think given where we had been before exceptionally well but there's a there's a sense that that well, it's it's difficult to really put a finger on it, which is why I think it'd be useful to talk to you about it, because you know, did we underachieve, or or were we unlucky? Because, you know, I remember I think it was the second season we were back. It all kind of went pear-shaped um, over Easter, didn't it? And we got walloped yeah. by West Ham and QPR. But you know, Kerry had been injured as well, or was that the season before? I think it, no, I think it was that season. Was it, He'd been injured. Eddie got injured. I mean, that's unlucky, isn't it? But do you think you could have achieved more? David
1: David Speedy got injured as well. Speedy got injured too, didn't he? So I think if we'd had um, a little bit more investment, which you look and you go, was there any money? Could Batesy have put his hand in his pocket? Could we have got somebody on loan? You know, when you look back, you go, we had a good team. And if Kerry and and Speedo had stayed fit, I think we'd have had a great chance of finishing in the top three. I really do.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, because we were still hungry for it, and when you're used to winning, you think you're going to go out and win all the time. And uh, we had that mentality. And then losing those goals, I think, of Kerry and Speedo at that time, and then I think losing to uh, West Ham, getting battered by them. QPR was was the same on the plastic. Um, it deflated us a little bit. But I think we, how would you say it? I don't think we were overachieving. I think we, we were good enough to be in there, but we didn't have a strong enough squad like some of the other teams to really stay in there until the end of the season. Um, you know, a lot of the top teams, if they get a striker injured, they've got a, quite a good striker to come come in and take that place. We didn't really have that, unfortunately. No disrespect to anybody else who was in the squad at the time.
0: Yeah, it's funny. I, you know, I, I, asked, I asked Bummers when I interviewed him, and, and I kind of said, you know, do you think we could have... Could have really had a tilt at going for the title. And he kind of looked at me like I was mad and said, <laughs> no, no, no. And he said exactly the same as you, know. He said, you know what? He said we were about two or three players short, I reckon.
3: Yeah. Was, that, was that a naivety on the part of the club, do you think? Or just the fact that he didn't want to put his hand in his pocket at the time? Was it was um, uh, Mears? Wasn't mm. Was was it a uh, they Ken. Just couldn't, they couldn't Ken. Afford, Ken? 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 Mm. Sorry, it was Ken. Bloody hell, Ken. Yeah. Could he could he not afford it at the time? Was it just that, as simple as that? Because he seemed to be a man who took chances. He he, yeah. he he could see a team was was doing okay. He made some interesting purchases along the along the way. What was what, what was your feeling at the time? Was it was it that he didn't realise that he could have made the club? work better at the time or was it what was his relationship ultimately with john Neal like that he could do that was he was he was he happy to do that to 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 invest or or would he would he consult john about the team would john was john wanting to invest or oh, i've asked about nine different questions
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah. no it's, it's quite it's an interesting nine questions but uh, <laughs> but really really you'd have to uh, ask ken bates and uh, you know and God bless him, John Neal, who's no longer with us. I don't know what was going on behind the scenes because you don't really get that uh, information as a player. But if you, if they asked us as players, we'd say, look, we need one, two players, and we've got a great chance of competing for a top three finish here, in, in my view, if you've if you got the right players in. But I don't know if he had the money. I don't know if John or Ian McNeil would have had players lined up which Ken knock back. We'll never know, I don't think. But... I just thought it was a great opportunity missed if they hadn't have done that and they didn't do it and I think we st- suffered and finished 6th I think in the end but we were better than that
0: We were in indeed my- Yeah no I I I think you're right Nigel but I I do think I think you're you it's really good to hear you you know reiterate that point which is that you know we were we were short of a few players the lack of depth in the squad really cost us but I think we were unlucky I think as you say we were on a real roll And uh, had that not happened, I think maybe we would have surprised a few people. Of course, you know, the one highlight of that era, I'd be interested to hear, again, you know, how important it was to you. But that was, of course, the full Members' Cup, which uh, has got to be one of the most insane games ever for a final, hasn't (laughs) it?
1: Oh, absolutely. Only Ken
0: could uh, do that. (laughs) Sorry, the Ken Bates Cup. Get it right.
1: Yeah, the Ken Bates Cup. But I think let's get it right, though. Let's put it in perspective. For the supporters and for the players it was absolutely magnificent. To go to Wembley, to play at Wembley. It doesn't matter if it was called the Mickey Mouse Cup. You were playing at Wembley. You wanted to walk up that tunnel. You wanted your fans there to support you. You wanted to go out there and play on the hallow turf of Wembley. And we did that. And, uh, you know, we won it, 4-3. But, as everybody knows, we played at Southampton the day before. Yeah. Kerry got injured. Uh, I think, Eddie, did, Eddie get, did Eddie Nezveski get injured? A couple of the lads yeah. got injured, couldn't play. And um, Colin Lee ended up playing up front with David Speedy, uh, and we won 4-3. But Man City, I didn't realise until someone, it might have been Mark who mentioned it to me, actually, they played Man United the day before. (laughs) So I was feeling sorry for myself, running around at, at the Dell, which isn't a big pitch, that's great. Go to Wembley, massive pitch. But Man City had to play Man United and then travel down to Wembley and play us the next day. But we deserved to win. I think they scored a couple of late goals. But it was just great to be at Wembley in front of, what was it, 60,000, 50,000? I don't know what it 67, was.
0: 67,000.
1: Uh, which was unbelievable. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it was a great day. The only thing that uh, soured it was a little bit that Batesy didn't want to pay us any bonuses. So we nearly went on strike. <laughs> <didn't> <laughs> <I>?
4: <laughs> 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 we nearly didn't trade
1: a game. So there you
4: go. How, how, how did you get the money off him in the end, Nigel? Yeah, nicked his car. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think some
1: lo- logic came into it in the end, which saying, mm. look, we've we've done so well here, you know, you know, you've got to look after the lads. You're making loads of money out of it. So he's saying, I'm not making any money out of it. Blah blah blah, but. Uh, I think in the end, um, I think you know we came to an agreement, and I'm I'm sure Man City would have had the same problem because you know who the owners of Man City and Chelsea were at the time, and they were hard negotiators.
4: Oh, it was Peter Peter Swales? Peter Swales. Right. Yeah. the the other The other story at the time was obviously the semi-finals. Um, I can't remember who Man City had in the semi-final, but I think I think there was a suggestion that Peter Swales and Ken Bates did the semi-final draw, and balls might have been in the fridge beforehand just to keep Chelsea and Man City apart. Because <laughs> yeah, I I don't I don't think they wanted. I think was it Oxford United in the semis? Yeah, it was like yeah, I mean, it would probably been Oxford Barnsley in the final, something ridiculous like that. Yeah. yeah Heaven forbid that would happen. Yeah. That could have been a big crowd at Wembley then. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, (laughs) very unlikely
0: I
3: can't understand financially why they stitched the whole thing up really let's be honest it was you know it was I'm I'm afraid I was I was going through a kind of uh, I'm not going to go and see that because it's all been set up and it's all been manufactured (laughs) I'm not interested it's not a real competition phase of my life I'm afraid so uh, I went to the final reluctantly you went though you went though well yeah of course I went I'm not really interested in this because it's all been the whales and and baits have just invented the whole thing and Hardly anybody's played in it, and all yeah. my mates were saying, "Oh, you're such a misery guts!" I'll oh, get there. And of course, what happened was, was as the uh, when we were winning it easily, I went, "Oh, we're going to win this." Of course, when City scored the last two goals, I was absolutely hiding under the seat. <laughs> 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 oh God, I can't believe it! I've come I don't care about the game, but I'm
1: high. Oh God, they are going to lose! Oh no!
3: And there I was cheering with the rest of them when we won it.
1: Oh, dear.
0: brilliant.
1: But yeah. what, was, well, what was crazy about it, and it never happened today, is actually playing in the in the uh, league on a Saturday at yeah. Southampton oh, oh. two games in two days. You wouldn't
4: be allowed now. Oh, no. But, but didn't it you, it Nigel? Health, it,
1: health
3: and safety would come in and so they'd say, no, you're not allowed to do that now because all, the, all they'd all get cramp or they'd all suffer some kind of, of, of terrible injury as a consequence.
0: They're of all they're thing. all soft now, JK, mate.
4: That's what it is. But didn't you, Nigel, even like around Christmas time, you know, sometimes play two games in a row? Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I, mm. I remember my, my first season
1: at Bournemouth. I think I played there was 46 league games 46 league games in the league cup as well fa cup as well i mean it was crazy times um you know back then when you look at the old one two three four divisions how many games you actually played and today you know i remember Arsene wenger one day saying oh we're playing too many games in this country my players are getting tired if someone tells you you're tired you're tired
4: yeah
1: so mm-hmm. that's the thing and i think that's an excuse Sometimes that's used in football now. But if you look back to, you know, some of the games, even the, when Liverpool were dominating uh, Europe, all the games they were playing every yeah. season, those players wouldn't, you only had 13 players or whatever it was. You know, I think sometimes, I know the game's quicker, it's faster, but the pitches are better, the boots are better, yeah. the tackle from behind isn't there.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, you know, the game's vastly improved. But yeah. if you tell someone they're tired, they're tired. And yeah. John Neil never told us we were tired, so we we're
0: all right at Wembley. That's a good point. Now, of course, I mean, that that season peculiarly is you know was was quite a tough one for you wasn't it i mean john uh john holland's had taken over by then and he's brought in ernie ernie wally and again we could do an entire show i suspect on ernie wally but we won't um but it was a tough go on why not we'll have to do it another time nigel (laughs) we'll definitely get you back for that one but i mean look you know every every player from that era and I've, i've bummers uh you know colin pates uh, kerry i've certainly talked to about about this era and it was a really tough time for a lot of you and we when we did the review show on it we were a, a, a loss as to what really went wrong i mean you know there were some really odd buys there were some really ch- odd changes in formation and i know this affected you because mickey hazard came in and suddenly uh, it unbalanced the whole of the midfield really didn't it so but what what really happened and what, why did it all go wrong that's kind of really what i'm asking
1: well, this, this could take you a long time okay. if I want to go into it. But um, <laughs> right, let's, let's, get, let's get it right. That John Neal had brought all our players in. We've done exceptionally well. John had the uh, triple heart bypass. Um, John Hollins took over eventually. Now, there was a lot of rumours at the time that, that John Hollins put pressure on uh, Ken Bates to give him the job. We don't know all that stuff. But, you know, John took over. And John was a really good coach. I really like the the way uh, John Hollands took the, uh, the coaching. Um, it was enjoyable. Um, it was, it was jolly, if you like, cause we can use to call him Jolly John. Um, Jolly John Hollands, you know, it was in- interesting. So he then brings in a coach who is completely the opposite to him. Who's a black belt in karate. Who'd like to tell everybody is a black belt in karate. Um, and his and his coaching was boring. It was regimented. Um, and it was completely the opposite to what John was. And, and John, I think, in his in his head, thought, I need to bring someone of authority in because I'm not strong enough. I'm not hard enough. Where, really, the group of lads he had were brilliant lads. He didn't need anybody like Ernie Wally to come in. He needed somebody a little bit like himself to come in and continue what was happening. And uh, I think John, I don't know if he'll ever say it or admit it, I think he made a big mistake because we all wanted John Holland to do well because he was a great guy, nice guy, good footballer, good coach. Yeah. But I have to say, in the end, for me, um, really poor man management um, and got a lot of things wrong. Where I think he thought players like myself, the big voice in the dressing room, was against him, and we weren't. Yeah. And we wanted to do well ourselves, so we wanted him to do well, but he made some very strange um, decisions. And when he brought Mickey Hazard in, who obviously played against Mickey, I know Mickey well, fantastic player, brilliant. Brilliant. You know, um, not quite up to Glenn Hoddle's class, but, you know, he could pass the ball, he could put backspin on it, he could see a pass which other people couldn't. I think he needed to play alongside somebody like me to get the best out of him. Or, you know, and John put me on the bench and, you know, the rest is history as they say, but, um, you know, that's football for you sometimes you don't fit into the way that the coach or the manager wants to play but i think it wasn't the way i played i think it was that i was a big voice in the dressing room and he didn't he didn't like that he thought i was against him which i certainly wasn't
0: yeah
1: but um you know i have to i have to say ernie ernie wally's training was boring i think um i think a few of the lads would probably stick up for him but if they're completely honest it was it was a complete flip to what john hollands was was giving us and ernie wanted to fight everyone um, I can remember him sending me off in training one day in a six aside because I moaned about one of his, his decisions at uh, Stamford Bridge. So we, we, if you remember the old Stamford Bridge pitch used to go like that, and um, we were right over the far side playing a uh, six aside, and he, he gave a corner or a goal or something. I went effing out, and he refereed the game properly, will you? And he went, no more that, otherwise I send you off. I went fuck off, send me off in training. He went, get off. And John, John Hollins was there watching. And uh, he went, no, no, no. I said, if you send me off, I'm going in. I'm going, getting sent off. I'm going in. He went, get off. I went, okay, see you. And John John Hollins went, wait there. I went, no, no, I'm going in. I've told him, if he sends me off, I'm going in. So I walked right across down the, uh, down the tunnel and went in the gym and started doing my gym work. So, uh, then the lads start coming back in about 20 minutes later, all laughing, well done, Spaggis, whatever. Yeah, that was funny. Okay. And then uh, I'm doing me, I don't know what I'm doing, uh, press-ups or something sit yeah, ups so Burpee, er-
3: burpee, probably.
1: Yeah, oh, I was just having a lie down, probably, <laughs> <what> I, mean. <laughs> <laughs> I was asleep. Um, Ernie, Ernie coming up, uh, I want to see you in the manager's office. And I went, okay, Ernie. I said, when I finish all my stuff I'm doing, I'll come and knock on the manager's door, yeah? So he didn't know what to say and all the lads were like. Pff. So uh, I did my stuff and then I went down, knocked on the manager's door, come in. So you know, go, John Hollands is sat behind his desk and Ernie is sat in a chair. And um, John, John says to me, oh, Nigel, I'm really disappointed in your attitude, blah, 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 blah. And I went, okay, let's, let's cut out all the BS, okay? I said, nobody likes Ernie. I said, so if he wants to come over and punch me, I said, I'll go. That'd be great. I said, you come over, punch me. I'll go to the chairman. You'll get the sack and everybody will be happy. And they didn't know what to say. And I said, if that's it, I'm off. Open the door, walk back out. So that was probably why I wasn't in the team for a while.
3: <laughs> <laughs> but On the other, why, why, did, they, why did they buy Hazard? Uh, who, who was that? Was that Bates that bought Hazard, or was it was it um, was it John Neal? What was the what, why why muck about with the 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 excellence of the of the way the midfield had been playing? What what was the reason? Well,
1: that? Well, well, all I can think about it was that John Hollins wanted to put his own sort of stamp mark on, on the team on and yeah, change yeah. it a little bit, and he saw Mickey as, as as that. But to just put Mickey in there, he can't just put. Mickey in there to change that because no, indeed, the, the team knew how to play, and the way it played, it balanced
3: was... it, it unbalanced yeah. it completely. Very, very. <laughs> I mean, an excellent player, but very, very different, and from the the philosophy the team had at the time, you could see that. You could see was he was a, a big individual, and the, I felt the 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 fact the team was was the cogs of the team worked really well, and it, it just didn't. It was misplaced. You just think uh, uh, he's he's played a ball there that nobody's quite understanding because he's not part of yeah. the team. That was always the problem I had watching him.
1: Yeah, and, and Mickey, unfortunately, had this problem that I think he had the same said about him at Tottenham, that he could last about an hour in the game and he'd run out of gas. And uh, nobody ever got to the bottom of that until I think Mickey realised he was eating too many Mars bars, and which didn't help. But um, I can remember Ernie Wally giving him extra training you know, and me mean speedo with a cup of tea at Harlington sat on top of the car going, go on, Mickey, <laughs> go on, mate, you'll do it. And while Wally was telling us to go in and uh, it, it was ridiculous to be fair, but, you know, um, Mickey was a good player. And, uh, but I just think the tools around him were different to what he had at Tottenham. Um, and he found it hard to, you know, cement himself in the team, but also John, John Hollings found it hard to change the team. Um, to evolve the team, which he was trying to do. Mm,
0: fair enough. Um, I'm sorry. I think it's, it's pretty clear why why you left. But I mean, I know a lot of a lot of the. I mean, Kerry was quite keen. He, he was really fed up, wasn't he, at the time? There were a few others too. But away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, eighteen plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. dot com. J K. In all the years you've been following Chelsea, you hardly ever miss a match, home or away. But how would you feel if you couldn't be there, and it's not on TV? Oh, Chich, I'd be bereft, inconsolable. The
3: thought of missing my beloved Blue Boys live. <laughs>
0: Fans real
1: opinions. I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to the Chelsea Football Fancast up the Chelsea
0: FootballFancast.com So so what happened? What you know why did you leave in a sense, Nigel?
1: Well I have to say this. I I never asked to leave Chelsea Football Club. Right. Um, that was a decision that John uh, Collins made. Um, it was a Monday morning. I've been up in Manchester, uh, at a PFA conference cause I was the PFA rep at, uh, Chelsea as well, which probably didn't help. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I, I was up in Manchester for the weekend. Um, uh, drove back late on the Sunday evening home, Sunday week, go to bed and then in for training, uh, never late for training, always in early, make sure, you know, you don't get fined or anything. And, um, when I got in, um, uh, I think Gwyn Williams probably came and said, oh, uh, the manager wants to see you in his office at Arlington. So I went to see him and said, "Um, okay, Gaffer, everything all right? He said, yeah, everything's all right. He said, "Um, we've had an offer from a a club for you um, and we've given them permission to talk to you. And uh, I said, well, who's the club? And they said, uh, uh, Liverpool. And I, I can believe it, obviously, because at the time, Uh, no disrespect to anybody else, but Liverpool were one of the best teams in Europe, um, you know, and the best team in in England. So, um, I said, so you're telling me I can go? And he said, yes. And that was, that was it. So, you know, I didn't ask or force a move or anything. That was just the surprise for me. One Monday morning, um, being told by the manager, basically, we don't want you. We've sold you, agreed a price, off you go. Mm -hmm. So, um, you now, as I come back out the door and all the lads are in the dressing room, my, you know, Speedo and and Kerry and Pat and all that, I said, what's going on? Where are you going? I said, I've been sold, haven't I? He said, where are you going? Where are you going? I said, I can't tell you, but they're playing red. And I was <laughs> off. And uh, that was it. Back home, um, spoke to Peter Robertson, um, the uh, old secretary of, um, of Liverpool. And, uh, you know, arranged a flight for me to Manchester because there's no flights to Liverpool at that time and uh, the great Bob Paisley picked me up um, from Manchester airport took me to Liverpool and um, you know the rest is history so the the long and the short of it is I never asked to leave Chelsea and uh, John Hollands basically thought I was better out the door agreed that with Ken Bates and that was me.
4: Yeah. No, I mean, no, 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 Nigel, I if obviously if John Hollins sold you, who brought you back? You know, because you, you mentioned Bates there. So was it Porterfield that brought you back or was it Ken Bates that brought you back?
1: Uh, but by what I believe, it was Ken Bates who brought me back. Um, Ken had come up to, I was playing at Rangers, as you know. Um, I think he'd come up to the Scottish Cup final. Um, we did the double that year at Rangers, one league, and, and he was there. And he, I saw him in the crowd when I come off and just said, so, Put my hand up below, and but I, I do believe it was uh, Ken Bates got in touch with my my agent uh, at the time, and I only had an agent when I went to Rangers. I didn't have an agent when I was at Chelsea or anything. That like. was only when I went to Rangers, um, and um, got in touch with them, uh, with him, and uh, inquired at Rangers. And the thing for me was that um, you know it range it Rangers everything had been fantastic, brilliant. The only the only problem for. Uh, at the time, was the three foreigner rule, and I'd been playing in Europe, playing in the European Cup, playing the Champions League. But it was getting harder and harder to be one of those three starters because there was only three starters. And uh, we also have to remember that the Premier League was starting that year. You know, the Premier League had started, the the Sky deal had started, so it was a great time to come back to to Chelsea. But um, unfortunately, when I come back, I was, I have to say, I was disappointed. How Chelsea had actually evolved in the time that I'd been away.
0: Well, I I, I, we, I remember the quote because it's in uh, in Rick Glanville's fantastic uh, complete history of, of Chelsea, and I, I won't I won't tell you your own quote. But I, you said something I know like that. it was it was run it was run it was it was like it was being run. The lunatics had taken over the asylum. That's what you said. What did you mean by that?
1: Well, what I meant by that was Chelsea had some very good players. And uh, there was no leadership, there was no management. I think Ian Porterfield, God bless him, um, was really struggling at the time uh, off the field and with the stuff he was doing. I think Don Howe didn't really have the discipline for the players, although he was a fantastic coach, Don. Um, And I think, you know, the players were just going out and playing. It wasn't like there was any real focus on, you know, how we improve, how we're going to do this. Um, You know, Robert Fleck was there for a lot of money at the time. Mickey Harford was there. Fantastic players. Uh, Andy Townsend, Dennis Wise. There was a good group of players there, but there was no sort of leadership to push them in the right direction, in my view, when I came in. And don't forget, I've been at Liverpool, who were notorious winners. I've been at Rangers' notorious winners, playing with international players, being organised, everything. You know, you've got to win this game. The pressure's on to come into Chelsea, where... When I was at Chelsea, that's what I'd had before I left. That's what happened in the season we're talking about. In the next season, it was all about trying to win. It was all about evolving. And unfortunately, when I came back at the time, Chelsea had gone backwards in my view, not forward from what I'd left. Yeah. And that was, I don't know how many years after. So it was it was a, a little bit of a, how do you say it? A bit of a an eye-opener for me to come back and see all these good players with... You know, not fulfilling what they should have been fulfilling, in my view. And that's maybe what you get from going to clubs. And Chelsea have that now. Chelsea have completely got that now. There's a winning mentality. They want to do well. The fans demand they do well. When I came back, there wasn't there wasn't that. I don't think Chelsea supporters even were thinking Chelsea are going to win something. It was about, oh, we do all right, we'll beat them. But we're we're not competing for anything at the end. Um, and, and that was what was really disappointing when I came back.
0: Yeah, I won- I wonder how much the relegation in the late 80s, you know, via the playoffs, a bit unlucky, to be fair. Yeah. You know, I wonder how much that, that affected us because we'd been on such a kind of steady incline. I mean, like you were saying, you know, we were evolving. And then yeah. that set us back. And I mean, I know we, we, we rocked back as champions and we were really good, but I don't think we ever really capitalised on that. As I, I think you're right, Nige. I think we stagnated. Um, and I mean, you know, we nearly, we, you know, arguably we could have gone down the season that Porterfield got the sack and, and Webby came in and sorted it all out. But I mean, what was that like at that time? It's a bit worrying. Well, I was,
1: unfortunately. You were injured, injured. weren't you? Yeah. Yeah, I, I was injured. And um, I remember when, um, you know, watching some of the games and thinking, oh, you know, this is hard work, you know, it, it's and um, people had lost their confidence. There was an air about. Uh, you know about the place, which was you know doom and gloom a little bit. And um, when he and Porterfield went, I think it was I think Ken Bates did the right thing at the time. Uh, he needed somebody to come in and liven everybody up and um, get a bit of passion back into it. And I knew, obviously I knew Dave Webb because Dave was my manager as yeah. I touched on it, Bournemouth. So I remember Dave coming in to speak to me one afternoon because I was in the gym at uh, Stamford Bridge and saying, "Tell me what's going on." So I had a long conversation with him and just said, you know, the lads lost, lost their confidence. They need a bit of direction. We need a bit of organisation. Um, and he said, are we good enough to stay up? And I said, yeah. And he said, are you going to play? And I said, I want to play. I said, but I'm just not fit, Dave. I, you know. And he knew me that. I was an honest guy. He knew me from a, a very young age. Uh, but, uh, you know, he'd come in and have a little word every now and again. What do you think? And, you know, that was nice. But I wanted to play. But I just had this back operation and I was out for a long time and then it took me an awful long time to get fit from that I still suffer with my back to this day as Mark could tell you Um, but you know those are the things that you get with playing professional football for so long and injuring yourself but it was very tough to watch your team struggle when you're not fit. Yeah,
3: we were, the rumor we had in the stand was that you you had uh, hamstring injuries. Was that the consequence of the uh, of the back problem? Was it was it connected, or did you not have hamstring ever? Was it was it um, just a back the, the, sci-
1: problem? the sciatic problem, which obviously right. radiates right. from your back down your yes, head. yes. And I had to change. I, I used to like driving fast with the gears and all that stuff. I had to change to an old man's uh, automatic because I couldn't I couldn't actually drive properly because it was so painful. My back, going in, I lived in Windsor and going into Stanford Bridge, if I had to go into Stanford Bridge, you know, and getting stuck in the traffic, you're like, oh God, just oh, kidding. Yeah, yeah. So it was, it was doing more harm getting stuck in the traffic, really. Uh, you know, going into training at those times. But the,
3: the disappointment as fans that we had that you weren't playing was just ab- so tangible. It was just uh, the fact that you were injured because it was, um, um, you were very talismanic and we're very pleased that you were there, and it was such a shame not having you playing at that time. Because oh, I, I appreciate that. Thank you very no, much. It really was. It was. Um, I remember the, the, the always the talk was, you know, is uh, is Spackman playing? No. Nah. Oh bloody hell, poor man. You know, it was that aspect of it. <laughs> it, it, it diminished. It diminished the club. It diminished the team because we we knew that you'd always put in a, a, a decent performance. So, uh, you know well, anyway. Okay. Yeah. I mean
0: that's so true. I mean I, I know you, you probably you know Kelvin Barker, don't you, Nigel? Pretty sure you yeah. must. Have. Yeah, yeah, Kelvin. Yeah, and he he does these uh, brilliant uh, kind of biographies that are stashed away on some really weird obscure website. But he said that, I mean I, I, we're not at the end, but this is the kind of at the end of your career. He said after a total of almost eight years as a Chelsea player, during which time he never once gave less than a hundred percent. That yeah, you know epitomises exactly what Jonathan's about, which is why we loved you as a player, mate. Um, anyway, no, and think- that's
1: true. No, and, that, and that is true as well. If you're injured uh, and you're playing, you still give 100 percent. It doesn't matter who your manager is. Yeah. You give 100 percent for yourself, your family, but also supporters who are watching you are paying their money to go and watch you. You owe it to give 100 yeah. percent and you're playing a game which you love and which we're very, very privileged to be playing yeah. and getting paid for playing.
0: Yeah, yeah. absolutely right. Thought, you latch on
3: to players who you have given you joy <laughs> within a game and in a season and you want them to do well. You, you're always on their side. And if there's something wrong, as in this instance, you just think, uh, I know, I wish him well. And at the, why I particularly was interested in that was I had hamstring problems at the time myself. And I kept thinking, I wonder if I practiced my back. My back. Yeah. No, it's, it's your age, love.
0: That, that's you
3: what, were, it is. what it was. <laughs> I was playing cricket, and every time I was going for the ball, I go, Oh, I've
0: done my hamstring again. Oh, no. Jonathan managed to pull both hamstrings at the same time once.
3: I was playing. You know, a charity great game at Stamford Bridge, and I try. I try, asked for a one-two. I said one-two-one. One. I was playing quite well. I thought for the like five minutes, and I I was playing fullback, overlapping fullback, and I flicked it to the left. And I said one-two-one-two, one, two, and the bloke the bloke passed it, and I just managed to not not the the left one went, and as I was trying to recover, the right one went, and when both of them go. You just fall flat on <laughs> your face. You can't. You can't do that thing of. You can't do that thing of going. Oh, I've done my handspring on one leg. You just go ah, fall flat on your face. And I, and nobody. Nobody was sympathetic. I, look, it was the that. I had to pull myself off like some kind of. I imagine I, I was a, a dog whose legs had gone, you know, and I needed one of those white cones around my face as well. And I'm pulling myself up the side, and the substitute's a young boy, walks over me. He walks over me, and he said, he said, you had a very good eight minutes for an old bloke
4: there.
3: Oh, for, the, for those of you yeah, listening, that was at Stamford Bridge with nobody watching at all. For <laughs> one of those charity days that Abramovich uh, set up, and, they, and in the morning you were—I knew the guy was running the, the whole thing. In the morning you were—he he was allowed a 90 minutes on the pitch, and I thought, oh, fantastic! i be playing on the bridge. I don't care. There's nobody there at all. Oh, brilliant, brilliant! Eight minutes, both yeah. hands. Eight.
0: That's the end of that. Eight minutes. But you'll never forget it—the
3: no. hey, no. last
0: time I played. Yeah. made sense. Uh, you, kind of, you kind of went out disgracefully. I like that. Oh, went it? out yeah. pathetically. Yeah. Not anyway, for, for those of you listening in black and white, I can confirm that Nigel Spackman was roaring his head with laughter at Jonathan's <laughs> managing to pull both his hamstrings at the same time. Right, ro- rolling on a little bit forward. I mean, I know you had a, a, a bit of a tough time with injuries on your return, but then obviously um, after the first season, uh, Webby goes and, and Glenn Hoddle comes in. Uh, I mean, we were all... Uh, You know, for those of us who got over the fact that he'd been a legend at Spurs, but there was a real excitement among the supporters that that Hoddle had turned up. What was it like for you guys? Was there a bit of a buzz about the place?
1: Oh, absolutely. Because, you know, we'd stayed up, which was the main thing. Um, You know, it was a lot of speculation in the papers. Was Dave Webb going to stay or what was happening? And then suddenly, you know, Glenn Hoddle's coming in, who did a fantastic job at Swindon and got them up. Uh, but came and I think it agreed to come to Chelsea. And I do believe that Tottenham came in for him. And he said, no, I've already agreed to go to um, Stamford Bridge. I'm a man of my word. I'm going to Stamford Bridge. Um, but for us, it was, um, well, you know, Glenn Hoddle was a player. I played against Glenn. Uh, I know him, knew him a little bit as a person. And uh, I thought he was going to be fantastic for Chelsea. He was going to change the way Chelsea play. Um, was he going to be able to have any money to bring players in etc etc but you know um, I think I think Glenn um, changed the what I was talking about before really changed that there's a direction there's a way that he wanted to play he was trying to bring players in to play the way that he wanted to play which took longer than he'd hoped and me being one of those that he wanted in the team to play as a holding midfield field player as the pivot in the midfield and I was injured and he keeps saying to me, You're going to be fit? And I said, I don't think so. And, you know, he, he obviously said to me, um, You know, how can we get you fit? I said, I don't know. He said, Would you go and see uh, a friend of mine, Eileen Jury, and all that stuff? And I, I did go and see, and I tried everything to get fit. Um, and eventually, um, I went to uh, a clinic in Hammersmith, believe it or not, called the Bimal Clinic, a fellow there called Alan Watson. And he got Stuart Robson fit when Stuart Robson had all his injuries. And I went there and gradually started to get um, fit. He did all the biomechanics, etc. looked at what was wrong with me. So I gradually got fit to get in Glenn's team, but it took an awful long time. But in the end, I could see, because I was injured and see the training, I thought, well, that's interesting. And I think I have to say that Glenn was probably the best coach that I played under in my career. He was very um, ball-orientated, ball-skills, this very tactical even if you're playing with a back four or back three whichever way it was and for me at 30 whatever I was at the time it was re- it was a breath of fresh air that somebody wanted to come in and change the game and um, I think that's what Glenn did in the end I don't know how you take that as supporters did he do that behind the scenes I can tell you many things about you know opening the canteen at this training ground which was never open having baths at the uh, training ground which was there which was never there bringing in a a gym at the training ground which was at Stamford Bridge Um, so there's a lot of things behind the scenes that Glenn did to take Chelsea forward Um, and maybe at times I don't know if he gets the recognition for that
0: Well it's interesting that the last sorry J.K. the last few weeks we've been you know because we've just been doing 90 well this kind of 3 or 4 year period and you know the the league form has been a bit ropey you know we're finishing 11th, 11th, 14th I think one season and and yet we were all saying, yeah, but you know we weren't that bothered because we could see what was happening. The football was getting better and better and better, and we were beginning to get better players. And you, you could, as a, you know, like you were saying, as a supporter, you, we could see it too, you know. And we could, ah, you know, you talked about evolution a minute ago, uh, and yeah. we, we talked about the fact that the club had stagnated, and what we were seeing was an evolution, and we could see that from the terraces. So I think you're absolutely spot on, Nigel. Sorry, J.K., you, you wanted to come in.
3: Yeah, you know, I just I read Tony Cascarino's book and he was saying that um, he found it quite difficult to train with uh, with Glenn because he was <sighs> bloody <to> super, good <laughs> superior talent and it was that like things like he would stand in the middle and volley the ball to everybody and uh, and uh, he couldn't do it nobody could do it and he and he, he was a bit disgusted with the level of skill in the in the uh, in the team did, did did that come across particularly did you find it I th-
1: I, th- I think um I have to say that I think Glenn was an exceptional player. Yeah. But we must remember that he just done a fantastic job with Swindon Town yeah, and got them promotion. He was playing as a sweeper, did exceptionally well. So I understand what Cass was saying, but I'm sure that the players at Chelsea were better in the majority than what he'd been working with day in, day out Swindon. at Swindon. But he'd nurtured them into a team, got them tactically aware. And, and they win that playoff final at Wembley, which was which was amazing. Now is it Chelsea. You know, you look around and you've got, you know, Andy Townsend's there. You know, uh, Dennis Wise is there. Mickey Harford, You know, they go through the list of players who were there. Some quality players. And then, obviously, Rude Hulick comes in. There's Johnny Spencer as well. Later on, Dan Petrescu comes in. Mark Hughes comes in. So, Glenn was trying to build something. And he was trying to bring players in to fit the way that he wanted to play. And it took time. But the I think players, the players, players obviously
3: were attracted by him as well, weren't they? But by him being a yeah, manager.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, Ch- Chelsea, I think people could see that Chelsea were progressing. They had a good young uh, inventive manager. But, did they have the finances to really bring in the players that Glenn needed to do what he did at Swindon, but do it in the Premier League? And I think that's where you come to the Matthew Harding, um, Ken Bates thing. We're we looking at Trying to improve the team, or we're trying to improve the stadium, or what, were, what was going on at the time. And when you look back, you maybe see it a little bit differently to what you do when you're there. But at the time, you're just hoping that another good player comes in, you know, and Terry Feeling comes in. And then you've got the two yeah. wing backs,
3: yeah, and yeah.
1: things start to develop. You've got Mark Hughes who can hold the ball up, you've got Rude Hullet who can play anywhere and play in goal if he wants. You know, um, Glenn started to develop the team, but it was hard work. And the first season. It was very, very hard work. If you remember up to about Christmas, New Year, the team was really struggling. And uh, I got fit the second half of the season. Not fit, fit, but fit enough to do a little bit for the team and to do a little bit for Glenn. And, um this
3: the European it, Cup Winners' Cup season you're talking no, about? No, that was first the season. Uh, following first season. Because right. yeah. yeah. sorry, sorry. They, they
0: yeah. he changed to four Diamond 2, didn't he? Yes. Yeah, yeah he, he, I think he changed
1: to the Diamond uh with Gavin Peacock in there mm. and, and obviously Dennis one side myself is the holding player or Eddie Newton uh in there. Um and it worked because he didn't think he had the players to really play with the three at the back yeah. with the wing back until he got Dan and he got yeah. Terry. Um and then it changed Dan Petrescu was such a good player, such an
3: intelligent player. Oh. oh wonderful, player. wonderful yeah. player. Oh yeah, yeah we oh, love
0: yeah. super Dan. Um oh. right so um the second season actually, there's, yeah there's, it's no, it's his first season isn't it actually because I mean we, we reached the cup final don't we in 94 um, and uh, you know which which we all love forgetting that, and it was horrible losing it to that lot but I, yeah. I'm just kind of wondering Nigel you know with, with the with the opportunity that about 30 nearly 30 years of hindsight gives us how how important do you think it was for the club that we reached that final even though we got stuffed how important do you think it was that we actually reached the final
1: I think it was I think it was immense for the for the club uh, and for Glenn, I have to say mm. uh, I think we weren't doing particularly well in the league um, but the the cup run as it can awful <laughs> it can always do for clubs. it can paper over some of the cracks of what you 're not quite consistent enough. Um, I think we've got the luck of the draw. Um, but as you said, in the final, I think maybe Glenn looking back maybe. Could have made a different choice of players, maybe a different choice on the bench, whatever you like to look at. But it's all in hindsight. A different
0: choice of referee, maybe, would have been a good idea.
1: Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. And a different uh, change of weather might help. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, but you have to say Man United were a good team. Alex Boone, the top manager. And you have to say, you know, to get to the cup final. And then with the added thing to that is you're playing in the Cup Winners' Cup the following season that gave every everybody a lift i think it gave the supporters a chance to travel which hadn't done for so many years it gave the some of the players a chance to play in europe for the first time and that's the romance of football you know playing in the cup winners cup as it was or playing in the champions league european cup you know europa league as it is now that's what players want to do you want to play against the best players in the in the world and you know it was a great journey uh, unfortunately losing in the semi final that but it was it was brilliant and um I thought Glenn tactically in some of the games got it very right. In a couple of the games, he got it very wrong. But that was him learning the art of management, you know, at Chelsea before, obviously, he, he takes the England job.
4: Yeah, the, mean... Vien- the, the Vienna game, Nigel, um, obviously you've had some many memorable games with Chelsea, but that night in Vienna, has to be up there was one, one of your most memorable. So you're ca- right. captain as well, you know, centre-half, yeah. Half, yeah.
1: Yeah, having to play centre half, and mm. um, yeah, it was a, um, it was so cold, and I don't think many people fancied us to go there and get a result, but we did. But I had to play centre half. Um, who, who got injured? Um, Kilberg. Kilberg. Yeah. Kilberg. We had to reshuffle, and what I think he was suspended. Was he supposed to be suspended as normal? Um, <laughs> 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 he, he
4: he was injured. He was injured.
1: Was, was, uh, that yeah.
0: the, was that the season yeah. with the uh, uh, taxi incident? Yes. <laughs> yes. So he was what, what injured? <laughs> he was injured. Yes. <laughs> Unavailable for selection.
1: Mm. Unavailable for selection. Yes. Yeah. But I always remember we, we defended well, and then from the cor- from their corner it gets knocked out, and, and we Spenny gets on it, and I'm I, I'm obviously. Back near our goal because it has got cleared and I'm going go on we man go on we man you can do it and once he fainted to go to his left and come back at his right I knew what he was going to do I knew he was going to score uh, because I actually I actually um, recommended John Spencer to Chelsea when I was at Rangers um, oh. so Eddie Navesky, uh went up and watched him and that's why they took John um, but I knew what he was going to do he's going to faint to go that way I'm back to his right smash it in the net and that was absolutely unbelievable. And then we held on, held on in those conditions. One and, of my
3: favourite goals ever. One of my favourite goals ever. Also, I was there, but it was just um, yeah. the, 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 the sort of disbelief, the smallest man on the pitch running the length of the pitch to score. Yeah. And as you say, that great moment where he doesn't just hit it or doesn't try to hit it under the goalkeeper. He faints left and goes right and then whaps it in. Ah, oh, the joy, the joy that that gave, gave us all. But also, I thought it was such a a, a patchwork of a team as well. Andy, Andy Myers doing all his ridiculous stepovers, as he always seemed to do. You had... Uh, um,
0: uh, who else was Well, playing? i tell you who's in the team, right? You had Kaurine, Johnson, Spenny. Wisey was playing, actually. Oh, Andy Myers, you, Nigel, Eddie Newton, Neil Shipley, David Rowe-Castle. The Shipley, of course.
3: Yeah, and of yeah, course,
0: yeah of course. Rocky was playing. Anthony Barnes, Gareth Hall. And Glenn and Scott Minto came on for Rocky and Gareth Hall. So there you go. Well,
1: wow. well. So so he must have just not been in favour of being captain then. So. <laughs> but he played. But it was a great performance, and it was um, you know, it was one of those trips where you, you stayed in a lovely hotel in in Austria, you know, locking people in their rooms, doing silly things. But it was it was it was the excitement for everybody. Um, you know those games in Europe. And it really brought the best out of some of the players. And I think it was great for the supporters as well. But oh, when you look back, 100%. you know, 30 years on or whatever it is, it's still there in your mind and it, it, you can remember the real vivid moments which are important.
0: You can. I mean, it was an amazing run. I mean, the, the Bruges game as well, which was oh, yeah. just, you know, goes. I mean, it goes down as one of, I think it's one of Mark's favourite games. It's one of, uh, you is know. Is that one the, of, one the, the one at the bridge or away? one of the The bridge. one at the bridge. One of the bridge, you yeah. know, one of the best. I mean, it's one of the top five best atmospheres for most of the people that I know. Uh, and it, it was a perfect evening in a way, wasn't it? Because we, we got early goals in that, I think. Yeah. I mean, well, fairly early. Steen, Steen scored in 16, didn't he? Um, I mean, what was lovely, Nigel, I think you had alluded to this earlier, was that, you know, we, we very few players that we had had any experience in Europe. I mean, you did, obviously. Glenn may have done. Yeah, Glenn would have done, wouldn't he? Yeah. Rocky, yeah. possibly, as well, I th- would have thought. Yes. But very yeah. very few, other, um, maybe John Spencer from Rangers, perhaps?
1: Well, he would have been on a couple of the trips, John, yeah. because he'd been Scottish, um, but he probably wouldn't have played, John, but yeah. he'd have had the experience travelling. But, yeah, it was a very
0: inexperienced European team. And you were learning, and that's the thing. I mean, we, we've we watched this over the, over the years, when, when a new team gets into the Champions League. I mean, we did it many years later, and it was like... You could see you're trying to figure out how to play this very different type of game, and it was wonderful for us to watch that and see you doing so well at it. I mean, you know, the, the nick in the 1 1 at, at Vienna that's what it's all about. A dogged 0 0 uh, in the first leg in, in Bruges, I think it was, wasn't it? Or well, we lost 1 0, didn't we? But it was, yeah, we lost 1 yeah. 0. But that's a good result away in Europe. That's the point, you know? Yes. Yeah, and
1: the more you play in it, the more you want to play in it. You know, that's that's like all the Chelsea players now. You know, you want to be in the Champions League. You don't want to be in that Europa League. But if you're in the Europa League, we want to win it. And that's what Chelsea did a few years back. But the top players want to play in the top competitions. And, you know, inexperienced players just getting a little bit of um, an appetite for playing in the Cup Winners' Cup and then going on to play in the Champions League. It's, it's brilliant. But the supporters love it as well. It's completely different to going to Premier League games. Although you do get hosed off a few times, don't you? Especially in Bruges, for water cannons and stuff.
0: <laughs> Not to mention Zaragoza. Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, Zaragoza! Yeah, I mean that was the disappointing one. That with Zaragoza away, I thought that was a poor performance from us. I think we got caught in the headlights a little bit. Too many mistakes, um, and it didn't really give us a give us a chance of getting through. But you know that's that's a shame. But at least we, you know, we did get to the semi final, which I think at that time was probably as good as we could have got.
4: Yeah, fair enough. You said you said top players, Nigel. Obviously, the probably one of the top players of all time joins the following season with Rude Hullett. What was it like playing with Rude?
1: I love Rude. I, um, I really, um, it's an immense talent. I know he's coming to Chelsea, and he was coming to the latter stages of his career, especially with that knee injury that he had. But um, great guy. I really liked him. And um, funny enough, when we did pre-season down at St. Melian, down in, uh, Devon, outside Plymouth. Um, Rude, uh, John Spencer and myself roomed together in one of these chalets. Um, so it, it was great. So you get to know, get to know him a little bit and his character and he was into his homeopathic homeopathic stuff and all that stuff. And I remember one morning at breakfast <coughs> we was down and don't forget Mark Hughes was there as well. And, uh, we, uh, we sat down having a break break and, and Rude brings out all these homeopathic little things and we go, what's all that? And he said, oh, this is from a knee. This is from a, you know, for this and this and that. Okay, and he's taking that. And Mark Hughes gets a bit of toast and he's putting this great big bit of butter on it like this, about this thick. The butter <laughs> was nearly as thick as the piece of toast. And Rudy was going, what are you doing? don't eat that. That's bad for you. It'll give you a heart attack. And Sparky just looked at it and went, "Nah, it's great. And started eating. <laughs> I don't think rude could really believe what was going on. You know, <laughs> obviously Mark Hughes from Man United, just putting this butter on, but he was a really good character. Um, but when we come out of there, one, one day we came out of breakfast and we had to go walk all the way back down to our villa. And the, the coach was being warmed up. The driver is warming the coach up, you know, and uh, you know, he'd left it running. So I said to the lads, come on, jump on. What are you doing? Come on, jump on. And then I took the coach for a drive down to our, <laughs> down to our villa. Rudy on there, Mark Hughes, spending myself down and just parked it there, stopped it, parked it outside our villa because I didn't reverse it or anything like that. So when when the uh, coach driver comes out from breakfast and his coach has gone missing, he's going mad. But <laughs> welcome to English football and the silly things we do. <laughs> he was a so, different... Sorry, Ruth go on, was... Rue was brilliant. I like the way he played. I think when he played as the sweeper, more often than not, he'd end up being centre forward. Um, you know, and you'd fill in for him. But, you know, he was that good a player. Um, you know, walking off in training when it's lightning, you know, Rue goes off. What are you doing? We, Us silly English players were still doing training. He walks off. He's having a massage when we get in and say, What are you doing? What did you walk in for? He went, In Milan, one of the players got struck by lightning one day never stay out in lightning i mean and just carry on you just accept it off rudy
0: was that good yeah absolutely i mean he, he took us took it all and us to a whole new level i mean that's the season we're going to be talking about later on but he was mm. quite remarkable wasn't he um we've got to talk to you about uh one of our favorite moments in your career nigel uh, which was the 1-0 against arsenal um when a certain individual, who I think might even be a colleague of yours these days, I've seen him, I've seen him, he's always on the radio and everything. What happened? You should tell us what happened from your point of view. I mean, you know we applauded you off. Yes, standing ovation.
1: <laughs> the only time I've got a standing ovation.
0: Actually. <laughs> well, you did a public service, according to Kelvin, so... Yeah, yeah. I
1: think, it was if, I think if I was on Twitter or something at that stage, I think I would have been inundated by well done or stuff from players all over the You'd world. You'd have been trending,
0: <laughs> Nigel. You'd have been uh, trending.
1: But, um, there's one of those occasions where, and I didn't know until I was at the Football Writers about three years ago. And uh, I was just talking to Martin and we're having a laugh about it with Gareth Southgate, actually, of all people, who was then England. manager. We're talking about it. And uh, he, went, he went, you know what, he said, I played in midfield that day. Martin Keown was playing in midfield for Arsenal that day. Bruce Rioch had asked him to play in midfield. Because I, re- I, I, I didn't get that far up the field in those days. And I wondered why we'd had that clash all these years. And it was because he was actually playing in midfield. But what happened was the ball broke. Martin Boddenham was the referee. Oh, and, oh, and, no, not yeah. oh <laughs>
4: no, no, Martin Boddenham. Oh,
1: no. And what happened, the ball broke. And I went for it. And... and um, Martin Keon pulled my shirt and then tried to elbow me. He actually missed me. So I went after the ball and he pulled me again. And I thought the referee's going to blow for the free kick, which he didn't. He just let play go because I was in possession of it. And then he pulled me again. So I just lost it and turned around and punched him. But as I punched him, you know, like throwing a punch, you think, oh, no, I shouldn't be doing it. So I really should have just done it proper, should not
3: I? I always thought that you were very gentlemanly with your punch. Nigel, I never thought. Yeah. When I I remember thinking at the time, he never really hit him, did he? He sort of you sort of went, and that's good to know that you thought at the time I ought not to be doing this because it looked like that. You you just sort of went slightly. Rather than going, you just went like I've I've chosen the point of his head I'm going to hit, and I've done it. But um, I'm probably yeah. now going to be off. All the, yeah. the thoughts so, are going through your mind.
1: No, so. so you're absolutely right because you throw it and you think, ah, oh, and it ends up being a little rabbit punch, doesn't it? Rather than a full yeah. Yeah, knockout, knockout straight, you right. know, punch. But, but the thing, the thing is, from it, what I remember is uh, Martin's going on the floor going, oh. Um, Overreacted
3: completely. Yeah,
1: yeah, of course. And Tony Adams comes over. It's back as what you're doing, yeah. I
3: Yes.
1: You know, and the referee then goes to the card, and it was a sunny day. I don't know if you remember, it's a sunny day. Yeah. He held it up. I knew it was red, but I had to have a look and make sure it was.
0: <laughs> well, and I... Then
1: my, I think Martin Keown got a yellow, um, but uh, you know, it was one of those things. The big thing for me was, I went in the dressing room, and the game was on in the dressing room. I'm like, Come <laughs> on, Only five minutes left. And to, we hadn't beaten Arsenal for ages, yeah, I don't think. Yeah. I was going, come on! I told him we won, we won one nil. Um, but when Glenn came in the dressing room, he wasn't happy. He wasn't a happy man. Well, you know, you're out of order, blah blah blah. Two weeks' wages. I went two week in wages for that. Hitting that, you
4: know. And... <laughs> <laughs>
1: maybe
0: find, maybe script. maybe find you because you didn't do it properly, Nigel. Yeah, probably that's
1: <laughs> probably yeah, that. right, actually. But, but just to finish off the story is. Um, David Rocastle was a great friend of mine. He lived near me in Windsor. We used to go out for a beer and a kebab, as you did then. I didn't have the kebab, obviously. Rocky had the kebab. Um, <laughs> and we went in the dress, in, in the players' bar afterwards and because I obviously got showered and that, all that uh, quickly. Got in there, having a beer with uh, Rocky. And he's going, no, oh, that was funny. But he said, uh, yeah, all went off in the tunnel afterwards as well. And then Ian Wright comes in. And, and Ian Wright, Rocky myself, we used to... Sometimes have a barbecue round Rocky's house because they were good mates from their Arsenal days, and that, me and my family just live round the corner. So we sometimes have a barbecue and a beer on a Sunday, and uh, you know we'd, we'd be there playing frustration. Ian Wright playing frustration, oh, smashing the fingers. <laughs> he was, you know. And right, right, he comes and he said, "Spackers, he went, what you hit Bob for?" I went, "Righty, what are you on about? What you hit Bob for?" What? I'm going, "What are you on about?" And Rocky went, "He's on about." Keown, I went, what do you mean, Bob? He went, well, we call him Bob. He said, what do you mean, Bob? He went, brain of Britain, brain of Britain, Keown. And I was just just laughing (laughs) my (laughs) socks So, uh, carried on, have a beer. Martin Keown didn't come in the players' bar he went on the coach, so didn't see him to have another fight or apologize or whatever.
0: (laughs) Is it did, did, did Graham did Graham Ricks kick Martin Keown up the arse in the tunnel? Allegedly, I don't
1: know because I wasn't there. Obviously, I was in the yeah. dressing room, but said that as he went down the steps, I think that uh, Rixie kicked him up the ass. But I don't know uh, how true that was. But that's how legend goes. How legend goes. Uh,
4: do, do people still call Martin Keown Bob these days, Nigel?
1: I call him Bob. Yeah. He doesn't like it. <laughs> he goes, oh, no. He said, that's so old. I said, Bob. But. Uh, you know, yeah. it's just one of those things. You, you know, the thing is, things happen on the football field and, you know, we do right, we do wrong. But, you know, the football humour, which we're losing because yeah. we're not allowed to lose things, you know, sometimes you still got to bring it up and have yeah, a laugh.
0: Totally right. I think uh, the world would be a poorer place without that. And, I mean, we've been saying for years, our our, our generation, that, that, you know, the characters have been going out of the game, you know, in the 70s when, when I first started getting into football. We had loads of characters and it's been... Getting less and less and less ever since, really, and it's a shame, I think. Um, yeah. Mark, you've got a couple of uh, couple of questions. I know that you you've stuck on the list for for Nigel. So
4: I, I, I know because we, we 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 talked about it earlier, but uh, we, we mentioned him. Well, what was your relationship with Ken? Because I, I know he dissed you in the program once and suggested you were greedy. Yeah.
1: Mm. Yeah. That's, that's unusual for Ken to use his program notes to diss someone, isn't it?
4: Heaven forbid he's ever criticized anyone in his program. Notes. <laughs> uh,
1: I remember what, what happened was um, we were in negotiations for uh, a new contract. And, uh, you know, I I think I was a little bit like Pat, kept turning him down, turning him down and going, no, I'm worth more than that. And um, Ken sometimes, he, he always wanted to be the winner or he felt he wanted to be the winner. And if you were quite logical with him, sometimes he'd get a little bit, you know, nasty. Okay. Okay. That's how you think. I'm not going to sign that. So the way to get back at people and let supporters think that you're the bad guy, he's going to put something in the program, which he did. And he put in saying, basically, you know, in negotiation, but he's just being greedy, blah, 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 blah. So um, I got in touch with the PFA because I was the PFA rep anyway. Um, And um, spoke to Gordon Taylor about it saying, you know, this is and he said, well, that's out of order, blah, blah, blah. Um, but I, I went home, I, I forget who we played that day. I can't remember. Um, and I, I went home and obviously it was only home phones. Then there was nothing else. If you were lucky enough to have a home phone, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, I got, a, I got a phone call from Teresa and uh, saying um, the chairman would like you to go over and see him basically summoned me over to his farm in Beaconsfield the next day, the Sunday. So, um, you know, I said to my, my, my wife, um, I've got to go over and see the chairman. She said, oh, "She said, OK, we haven't got anything planned. So off I went next day off to Beaconsfield, driving there, the dogs barking, the old thing. Um, Ken, I think, set the dogs on me No, he didn't really. But um, his wife came out and said, hello Nigel, where were you? Fine, fine. And um, she said, oh, Ken will be back in a minute. Would you like a cup of tea? And I said, yeah, I'd love a cup of tea, please. Yeah, a cup of tea. And then Ken comes strolling back in, you know, like um, the the Lord of the Manor, and uh, said, what size feet are you? I said, "Uh, 10 and a half. He went, oh, those ones are fit, you put them on. So the Wellington boots. And then he starts walking around the farm telling me, this is where we make the yogurt. This is where we make the milk. Uh, And down there, see that land down there? That's owned by, uh, who was it? Um, Who was the group. Marker notices into his music. Uh, 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 Staying alive. Bee Gees. Bee Gees. One one of the Bee Gees owned the land that backed onto Ken's where they were renting it or something or other. He's giving me all this going around, going, yeah, really interesting. What am I doing here? What am I doing walking around your farm? He says, well, you know... uh, I don't like that you've said this to reporters after the game that, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, You're going to sue me for defamation of character for what I put in the program notes. And I went, well, I've spoken to Gordon Taylor about it. I said, I think I'm well within my rights when you're saying things which aren't true in your program notes, Ken. I said, so, uh, you know, it's up to you. What do you want to do about it? He went, OK. He said, um, would you like to stay for dinner? I thought, well, whilst I'm here, I might as well stay for Sunday roast, might I? So have Sunday roast and his wife, nice meal and everything. Then we sat down afterwards and he went, So uh we're gonna do this deal then. And I said, Well, what you got to offer? So we ended up um doing a deal at his house uh for another, I think, two or three year contract. Uh and that's the way he wanted to deal with things, you know. He said, The biggest thing is Nigel always remember I've got more money than you if you want to go legal. Basically, you were saying, I've got more money. We'll just go to court. It costs you too much money. And that's what he said. Yeah. I've got more money than you. I went, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, could you, what could you say to that? But did you get a pay rise? Oh, I got a pay rise. Yeah, absolutely got a pay rise. Mm-hmm. And uh, was happy with it, Mark. But, you know, you had to go through the struggle of, you know, Ken always wanted to get one over on you all the time and he didn't get one over on me and he was he was a bit you know hurt by that I think in his own way because he always as you guys if you knew him he worked wants to be a winner but I have to also say he liked people who actually stood up to him and uh batted their corner he respected you for that
0: yeah yeah he's a fascinating character I'm amazed nobody's done a book on him yet you know from our slot Maybe well, that's... we have to be careful. You might be sued. That would probably yeah. be why. We might have to wait for a few years, Nigel, if you know what <laughs> yes. I mean.
4: And, and heaven forbid what it'd be feel like to get a letter from Peter Carter Ruck and Company landing on your doorstep. <laughs> 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 Maybe more of that later this evening or on another time. Well, so it... j- just 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 a final question for me, Nigel. Obviously, we, we've chat about it some, sometimes as fans. Even the current players, you know, not all of them have got a proper song about them. You know, Obviously, your 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 song is just iconic. One at of my favorites. Point, yeah. At what point did you sort of notice, in that feeling of like, you know, the Batman chant, like, no, 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 it's Batman. That just that must just feels sort of like absolutely incredible to have have an actual chant on a football pitch about you.
1: <laughs> it was fantastic. I have to say, it was actually funny but brilliant at the yeah. same time. You know, and um, you know, football fans come up with some great songs, and you know, sometimes people take an offence to them, but. My, you couldn't take offence to mine. Mine was brilliant. And, uh, you know, the Ch- Chelsea fans. And I have to say, you know, the away fans at the time at Chelsea were absolutely magnificent. I think they used to travel the length and breadth of the country to watch us. And the away fans used to sing that. It used to make you feel so good, you know. And, uh, yeah, I, uh, the lads used to take the mickey out of me about it as well. But it was, it was, a, it was a brilliant song.
0: Yeah, Did it.
4: they ever sing it to you? Who? The lads?
1: The lads. No. Um, I don't think so no because most of them didn't know the words
4: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I was going to say I think it's the only Chelsea song that doesn't have a swear word in it so there we go that's, that's something so you know well done yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's one of my favourites <laughs> I've got one more for you, Nigel, because it's been a, a topic of conversation in the last couple of weeks when we've been doing these, these 50 years shows. But what did you think of the tangerine and graphite kit? <laughs>
1: what did I think of it? Yeah. Should have been banned. <laughs> yes!
3: <laughs> <laughs> We're rather liking it now, Chidge. We think no, it's got no, a kind was, of yeah. pitch appeal now. We love it, looking no, at not it now. me,
0: mate.
1: JK, JK, this is a complete shirt for marketing reasons that they want his fans to wear that with a pair of jeans or shorts to yeah. a game. It's not a kit to actually play in. No, true. We played in a preseason game. It's South End in that kit, and seriously, you, it sort of, if you looked up and looked to your left hand side to pass the ball, you say I can't see the player because he's sort of moulded into the crowd. It was a sunny day. You know the the low stand at um south end and all all people sort of wear blacky gray tops you know unless you're wearing a chelsea blues <laughs> top. but yeah. they were so you can see the players and if you remember man united that season had the same thing at southampton with the black kit they had and i think marketing is great but they have to think about players who are on a field uh, on a football field where you yeah. look up quickly and you want to pass yeah. the ball you can't in that grey kit, you couldn't I see mem- anything. I
3: remember Chelsea playing in the that fluorescent yellow kit they had as a third kit, which unfortunately looked like stewards' bibs. And I remember what, going to an away game and the ball being passed regularly to the stewards
0: who were sitting on the left-hand side. That was the player, I think, that was the problem in, in well, that, that particular match, <laughs> J.K. But. But,
4: but, J, but J.K., if you'd worn that shirt to Wembley the other week, you'd have probably got in as a steward. <laughs> <laughs> he did. He did. He did.
0: <laughs> you wouldn't have had to jib in, JK. Yeah. You'd have just walked in, you know.
4: I'll te-
1: I tell you what, it's just reminded me of that. It's one day in training, David Speedy and Joe McLaughlin were playing a five-a-side tournament, and David Speedy and Joe McLaughlin are in the same team. And uh, I'm playing in a game over in. Suddenly, David Speedy runs across and he's behind me, and Joe McLaughlin's chasing after him. And Speedo and I used to travel together because we ne- lived near each other in Cambly at the time. And he's going. What's going on? He said, "Speckers." He said, "You know, Big Joe's after me. Stop him from hitting me and all that." I, so in the end, it all calms down. I said, "What did you say to him?" He said, um, "That he kicked the ball over there, Speckers." And I went, "What?" He said, "Well, I might as well do as I do on a, a Saturday. I might as well go and sit in the effing stand because that's where your passes go." <laughs> so he was finding the stewards as well. Oh, brilliant!
0: <laughs> oh, chaps. What? What? I mean, this has been so much fun. I could, I could do this for another three hours, but I did promise Nigel that we, we would not keep him uh, any longer than absolutely necessary. So,
1: unless there's anything else you want to talk about, guys, uh, and you can ask me. If,
4: oh, if not... on,
0: the, on the subject of shirts,
4: Nigel, you played in a, a, a lot of different Chelsea. Club. What's your favourite Chelsea shirt of all time?
1: I have to say, I like the Lecoq's 14th little, little uh, hooped, uh little. T- one and I, 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 everybody talks about the blue one, the yellow one, but there was a white one as well, yeah. which the, oh, I think all th- all three of those kits were brilliant. And I remember the yellow one, Friday night live at Man City, wearing that kit. I think I'm right. Yeah, uh, yeah. We won on the Friday, night. but I liked. I have to say, I think that was my favourite kit first time around. Um Second time around, I don't think the kits were as good. I think it was Umbro, and um I don't think they were quite as uh, quite as nice, but. Uh, that's, the, that's the kit I liked.
0: And it was a winning kit as well. Yeah, it was my, my favourite shirt, the 83-84 shirt. Absolutely superb, but there you go. Uh, Nigel, you've been nothing short of fantastic this evening. It's been a real, real privilege to speak to you for the last hour and a half. Really, I, I won't speak for them because they'll say so themselves, but I've really enjoyed it.
1: Thanks very much for having me on. Really enjoyed it. You guys uh, enjoy the next hour and a half.
0: We will. We will. Well, the be other...
1: longer
3: than that, Nigel. Be oh, longer yeah. than that. When we'll Mark be... starts going, it'll be, well, we're at it. We'll we're still
4: at be it. at
0: it tomorrow, won't we, Jake? Yeah. He, he
4: knows He knows I talk a lot. He has to put up with me every other Friday.
0: Yeah, yeah. there we go. Well, yeah. the other thing is it's also lovely to speak to a Chelsea legend who was, who's, an, who's a fellow Hampshireman like me, you know, because you're, you're down the road, aren't you, in Romsey? That's where you were born. Yeah,
1: Hampshire-born, Hampshire-bred. Strong, strong in the, the arm,
0: thick in the head. That's right. Just like me, Nigel. I was born in Winchester, so I know exactly <laughs> I was, what you I mean. Was,
1: I was actually born in Romsey, but I was grow, uh, grew up in Andover. Oh, right. Uh, where, my dad, where my dad, who's going to be 95 August the 20th, uh, still lives.
0: Well, fantastic. There we go. Great great part of the world, as we all know. But, Nigel, thanks again so much. Hopefully, we'll get Cheers. to see you Cheers again back as years. well. Cheers, Bye Right, brilliant. Brilliant, <laughs> Nigel.
3: Thank you so much. Yeah, nice. Thank you. Thank
0: you. Thanks, mate. Cheers, mate. Bye-bye. Bye. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around.